from Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show with Matt West. And here we are, rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show, heard on the radio here in Southern Colorado on AM 1460 and FM 101.1, The Answer in Colorado Springs and in the Wet Mountain Valley on 91.7 KLZR. Matt West here, hanging out with you, talking cars for the weekend. Got a loaded show for you. We got to move quick through things because I got a lot of stuff to talk about. Dodge gives us a look at the new Charger, just a brief look at it, but I'll give you the details and my thoughts. Also, a few weeks ago, I asked about your first cars and you answered. We're going to talk about some of your answers and why I think it supports a theory I have about first cars and car enthusiasts. Also, last week, we had a tremendous cold snap. It was brutal cold. And um, and I'm going to have a very special guest joining me here in the third half of the show to talk about what happens to your car when it's cold. What are all the things that happen to it? You know, and, and should you start your car and, you know, should you just start it cold and drive it or should you let it warm up? And by the way, you might know this guest if you listen to the show, uh, if you've listened to it for a while, that is OBD1 Kenobi, Brian, a longtime career technician as well as an enthusiast himself. He's got a he's got a weird habit of um, of, of making strange cars. So we'll we'll get to that and more. We're going to play some of your car sounds as well on this edition of the Automotive ADHD show. Now, before we get into any of that, this is way cool, by the way. So somebody has figured out how to get a 2004 Porsche 911. And are you ready for this to run Doom, the video game Doom, as in the original, the old school Doom. Yeah. And uh, and, and so there is a there's a group of people whose entire existence is defined by their ability to make certain consumer electronics that were never designed to run video games or anything run classic doom these people and it's incredible there's this is a community of people who do this and uh and this is interesting so now what's cool about this is the 996 generation 911 so late 90s early 2000s around there uh this one in particular is a 2004 and it has uh, something I think is also fairly interesting, which is the Porsche PCCM Plus Retrofit Head Unit. That's a mouthful, but what it is, is it's basically a custom head unit designed by Porsche to bring your old Porsche into the 21st century or more or less into the 2020s now. It's got Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, stuff like that, maps, things. It's a touchscreen, but it keeps the classic look. That, well, not classic, but it, cle- it keeps the period correct look um of of your center center stack there in your in your 911 which is great you know now granted yeah you can go buy any number of touchscreen head units to uh, replace your old one that have you know android auto and stuff like that but this is an official Porsche backed one that's great i like seeing Porsche uh providing support to some of their older products people tend to keep Porsches around uh longer than a lot of other cars so this is cool uh, i'm sure it costs considerably more than a, just a regular any aftermarket head unit you could pick. I'm sure it costs tremendously more than that, but that's not the point. The point is this guy through some techno wizardry, some things that are above my pay grade, got it to run doom. Now, how do you control the video game? I don't think that's the point. That's not the point. The point is the principle of it. I mean, the guys who do this are nuts, by the way, they get things like smart refrigerators and toasters to run doom. I mean, like calculators, even like anything that has some sort of display. These guys somehow will figure out 
um, you know, how to get it to run Doom. And, and you know, there's there's some there's some steadfast rules of the universe, one of which being, um, you know, and, and I, I can't take credit for this, but one of which being on a long enough timeline, all things will be LS swapped at some point. Um, and also on a long enough timeline, everything will can and will run Doom one way or another. So um, there you go. If, if it weren't for guys like this who who do this, who who, you know, get things running doom um if it weren't for people like this the world would not be uh it would be it would be worse off uh in fact the world may not even be here i mean really we have our we have our existence really to um attribute to these guys so um good for them i mean it is they're doing god's work here they're doing god's work so anyway hey moving on here um so i promised you that i would talk a little bit about the uh the new dodge charger the new dodge charger okay so the new charger is um is interesting so dodge teased us the other day on instagram with some shots of the new charger and um they don't always do this but you know dodge has a marketing strategy and they can be fairly consistent with how they do things this new charger that they showed us they showed us a pre-production model it looks remarkably close to the concept charger daytona you know not the classic charger daytona but the new modern quote-unquote air quotes daytona um, it it hark- harkens back to that. It's got the roof line of the old chargers. It, it, it definitely has this classic looking charger roof line, uh, perhaps more so than the current four door charger. And that brings me to what I just said there. It's a two door car, which is interesting. Now, I, I you know, the charger before has been two doors. That's fine. But our current charger that we've had for the past decade and a half or so has been a four door car. If you wanted a two door, you had to go to the Challenger and they haven't they have been radio silent uh, about the new challenger they may not even be bringing the challenger back we'll have uh, we'll have yet to see now dodge does this thing though they said that you know there's not going to be a, another hemi v8 or we're disc well they didn't say that but they said we're discontinuing this is the last of these hemi v8s you know and they're they do this thing that i call i like to call the classic rock band theory because you get classic rock bands you know whether it's kiss it's motley crue it's you know def Leppard or whatever you get these bands um, and, and what happens is they'll say, oh, we we're doing the last tour. This is your last chance to see us live. You know, we're doing our last tour end of the road tour. And then what they do, they do their end of the road tour. Everybody buys tickets because, oh, my gosh, it's the last time I'm going to see Kiss or last time I'm going to see well, whoever, you know, Aerosmith. Right. I'm Just name any band pretty much as long as the, the members are still alive. That is usually a, a prerequisite there. But um, that being said, I, I say usually a pre- prerequisite. But um, that being the case. What they end up doing is they end up coming along and they, um, the, you know, a year goes by, two years go by, and then they go, oh, we're doing a reunion tour. Here we go. Here's our reunion tour. We're doing all of the hits. We're bringing it back. We're doing it just as good, if not better. And that happens. And Dodge does the same thing. They tell us, oh, this is the last of these Hemi V8s. And everyone goes, oh, I got to buy the last Hemi cars. It's, these are the end of the road Hemi cars. And then they'll come out with another one or they'll make it, but it'll be a little different. And it, they might there might be a gap between it. And I think that's what's going to happen here. I don't think Dodge is going to know with their bottom line to completely discontinue V8s in their performance cars. Um, now, they are saying that some of their performance cars are going to be uh, equipped with the um, Hurricane inline sixes, uh, turbo inline six. Cool idea. There's been some reliability issues with the early ones. But overall, I think that's a good idea. Um there's going to be, uh, you know, we, we saw a few months back a um, Ram TRX test mule with clearly a straight six in it. So, I mean, yeah, they're going to they're going to do that. They also want to move to some hybrid, some EV. Now, is this production prototype that we saw on 
on online is this a uh is is this a you know what is it electric i don't know i couldn't see any exhaust pipes on it but that being the case some other shots of these chargers um on the production line clearly show a transmission tunnel and an orchestra uh, kind of the architecture of the car the bones of the car clearly look like they can still house an engine and a transmission so are we seeing i, I don't think dodge is going to do this hard conversion to evs on that they're just no they just they know their audience and they know that's not going to sell they know the guys who buy these cars are not buying evs for that reason and hopefully if they do an ev version or a partially electric version or whatever um hopefully they don't include any of the ridiculous weird um fake ev noises that we we saw with the um with the concept car when they unveiled the concept car they said you know ev the muscle has has been electrified right um and then it made these weird like cat meowing sounds like meow and that was it and they said well we're amplifying the sounds of the electric motor no come on guys stop it's fake it's fake we don't want it enthusiasts don't want that it's disingenuous i've talked about it before i did a whole segment on this show about that if i have an electric car it needs to make the sound that it makes if that's no sound that's fine you can't you can't fake it it's not it's not real anyway hey we'll talk about this and more and we'll get to obd1 kenobi we're talking cold weather we're talking evs again actually and and more and maybe some of his latest projects coming up here on the Automotive ADHD show right here on AM 1460 and FM 101.1, The Answer and 91.7 KLZR. Don't go anywhere. And now for how things work with an engineer. Rotary engines. Regret. And that was how things work with an engineer. More of how things work can be found at facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show, AM 1460 and FM 101.1, The Answer. Matt West here hanging out with you. Those car sounds were courtesy of my guest coming up in the next segment, OBD1 Kenobi, otherwise known as Brian. Brian's a great guy. He likes putting flat sixes in Subarus, and he's got a weird Volvo addiction, and I couldn't tell you why. There's there's some things about people you just can't fix. So (laughs) anyway, he's going to be joining me here in the next segment. I'm really excited to have him on. Um, you can send those car sounds, by the way, into the uh, Facebook page, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. You can email me, Matt, at throttlewarrior.com. And right now through April, or at least until I give away all of these, anyone who sends car sounds in, in from now until April, you get one of these automotive ADHD key tag, a nice embroidered key tag. Helps you fish your keys out of your pocket. I'm going to wave it in front of the microphone as if the radio listeners can see it. Also, you get... A as heard on the automotive ADHD show sticker right there. You can see it uh, for my viewers on video. Yes, we are on video, YouTube and Rumble. You can see that on the uh, the back of my laptop there. So um, there you go. Now, what uh, what we were talking about? We were talking about before the break, Dodge and the new Charger, and just a couple thoughts to wrap up on that. A um, couple thoughts to wrap up on that uh, is that. They got the styling down. It looks classic. That's good. They're bringing back the Daytona nameplate on it because they know nostalgia sells. And overall, it's probably going to be a good car. Uh, Do we know for sure if it's not going to have a V8? No, we don't. Do we know for sure if it's going to be hybrid only, electric only? 
No, we don't. Probably not, though. I can make some educated guesses, and I'm going to say no. Um, and uh, though they got the look down, they've kind of modernized the look. It's the, the front looks a little too squinty, in my opinion, right now, but I think it's going to grow on folks, and it'll probably grow on me. I mean, it's a, it's a sharp-looking car. Uh, definitely looks, when you think of a Charger, it looks like a Charger. So good, good job on Dodge for doing that. Um, we'll see what they do at the drivetrains, though. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I have, like I said, some educated guesses on that. Um, so one thing I, uh, I talked about a couple of weeks ago was what is your first, what was your first car? What was your first car? Right. And, um, and, and so, you know, I, I was talking about best first cars and I, I, I caught some flack for not saying Toyota because, okay, yes, Toyotas make great first cars. They really do. Any Toyota ever. I'll amend my statement. I did recommend Volvos though, as first cars, because you know, you have to kind of find a you find a line between what is if you're a teenager, maybe you're a parent right now and you're looking for a first car for your kid, or maybe you're a teenager. I've got a wide audience who a uh, wide range of folks who listen to the show. Um, the teenager wants something really cool, fun, fast and interesting. Uh, the parent wants exactly the opposite of that. Really boring, slow and safe. And I think when you bring Volvo into the equation, you kind of create both of those because they're affordable, generally speaking. Used ones, at least, are, are reason, reasonable. They're affordable. Um, they're, they're safe. They're some of the safest cars on the road, in fact. They have a reputation for that. Um, and they're still enthusiast cars. You can have a little bit of fun with them. Uh, they, they're interesting. They're a little different than you know, your average kid's first car. So you know, I think that's why they make a great compromise. And generally speaking, they're reliable. You have some you know, expenses on them that can be a little higher, higher ticket expenses. But generally speaking... As far as European gar- cars go, they're pretty reliable as far as European cars go, um, especially if you go back to the Volvo 240. If you go back that old, I mean, you can't kill that. Those red blocks, those, those red block four cylinders, good luck killing one. I mean, it's um, that and the Toyota pickup truck are pretty much indestructible existences. If a, if a Toyota uh, pickup truck and a Volvo red block collided, I don't know what would happen. The universe might actually end because... I mean, that is a true example of an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. So I don't know what would happen, um, but so far, I don't think it's ever happened. And we're still here to talk about it. So that's that's good. That's good. Now, I got some interesting responses, though, on the Facebook page on Instagram uh, from you. And and I just want to go through some of these because these are kind of fun. Um, it, it, it supports a theory I have about first cars. Um, Christopher, he says uh, his first car was a 1986 Ford Mustang LX hatchback. 2.3 liter, four cylinder, three speed auto, you know, and he says he paid 350 bucks for it when, when he got it, did his all his own maintenance, did all of his own repairs. Uh, DW 1985 Monte Carlo SS. Ooh, that's, that's fun. That's fun. Um, and then Ed says 1976 Ford Torino. That's also a fun car. Um, a new long lore. He says, uh, his first car when he was 18 was a 1986 Toyota Celica Supra. P-Type. That is the second generation Toyota Supra. I think a criminally underappreciated Supra. I think they're some of the best looking Supras. Um, they, they, they have this beautiful wedge design from the 1980s. I mean, they scream 80s and they got, they got great proportions. I think those are really cool. Uh, everyone's so hyped about the Mark IV Supras. Everyone's very hyped about even you see some of the, the third generation Supras, which are great cars on their own as well. Uh, starting to go up in price, but the second generation cars underappreciated, 
I love that era of Toyota style. I mean, that's no secret. I have, I mean, that's the same era alongside with my AE86 um, that sometimes runs. Uh, it's, it, it was in the showroom at the same time. I like that era of Toyota. Um, here's one of my favorite uh, entries here, though, uh, in terms of uh, uh, first car. Artem, he is a uh, longtime listener and a um, uh, definitely a self-proclaimed TVR enthusiast. Uh, by the way, he owns uh, one of the few, if not maybe the only TVR Cerberus in the United States, and it's the same one that was on Car Trek. He bought it from you know like Ed Bolian practically. So, um, and, and uh, so that that's really cool. And he sent those car sounds into the show before. He said, um, and, and I'll read his post here. He said, "Wild '90s in a post-Soviet Union lawless Russia." And he puts a picture up, and you're gonna have to you just you're gonna have to go to the Facebook page to see the picture. This is awesome. He says he's 13, and this is his first car, 1971 Zaz, Z-A-Z, his Russian car, 966, with a Mercedes-Benz grill stuck to the front of it. And it looks the part. It looks like a baby Benz. It is, I mean, honestly, um, this has, he says, a uh, 1,200cc air-cooled V4 with maybe 40 horsepower. And uh, he says, probably the only time I was the coolest cat on the block. He's got the picture there. He definitely does look like he was the coolest dude on the block. I mean... That that Ben's grill on there, you don't think that would work? Why would that? You don't think that would work, but it totally works. It fits the part, and I think that's amazing. And so, what I'm noticing is with, with all of these, with first cars and everything, is that you know we have the the more enthusiast side of things. The weirder your first car is, the uh, cheapest, the cheaper that it that it ultimately is. Um, you know, the more you have to work on it, it's a cheap car. You got to work on it. You got to learn stuff on it. Um, these all contribute to growing a car enthusiast. My first car was a 1988 Toyota 4Runner, and I knew nothing about cars with that. And and I learned a lot working on it. Unfortunately, that car uh, met an untimely demise. I actually didn't have it around very long. Got into a uh, head-on collision with it on a backcountry road that I really wasn't at fault for. But that and no one was hurt. But it it completely destroyed the destroyed the forerunner which was really sad and uh but you know that that being said you know we learn with our first cars um we learn to wrench on them we learn to do all of this um and that that is so important right if you want to cultivate another generation of car enthusiasts um they need cars that that can work now uh that, that they can work on i should say and you know when was the last time you saw someone you know who Oh, yeah, my first car was a brand new, um, you know, Nissan Altima. My parents bought it for me brand new um, and it ran all the time and there were never any problems with it. I'm sure there's folks whose first car was that and they came out a car enthusiast. I'm, I'm not trying to paint here with a uh, with a broad brush, but I think generally speaking, people who have a first car like that, they don't they, they don't always become car enthusiasts. I think if you've got a weird first car. It's it's gonna it's gonna lead to being a car nut in one way or another. So parents, listen closely. There, listen closely. Also, gotta um, gotta say, Eric Anderson, last last comment here on the Facebook page. Matchbox, his first car. That's when you start. You start them young. Just saying. Now, hey, don't go anywhere. OBD One Kenobi is my guest, and he is joining me right here after the break on Automotive ADHD. Colorado Springs number one car show by default. This is Automotive ADHD. All right. Hey, you can send those car sounds into the show. That was Brandon's Jeep YJ. 
with the four liter straight six and uh i think my my guest here joining me has probably seen me driving one of those around and maybe maybe breaking one of those once before too have you seen that by the way yes you have okay do you remember what my rod bearings looked like in that 4.0 very similar to my truck oh yeah but you're you're just still driving copper yeah So you're joining us here on the Automotive ADHD Show on AM 1460 and FM 101.1, The Answer, as well as on 91.7 KLZR. And joining me across from the toolbox here is Brian, otherwise known as OBD1 Kenobi. Brian, thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me, Matt. And thanks for coming back because we had a uh, we had a slight snafu on the last radio show where it didn't actually record the radio. Some technical difficulty yeah. on Matt's part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a professional. I swear. I think I'm a professional. I, I tell myself that at times. So um, anyway, what we are going to talk about today because we had some really tremendously cold weather earlier um, in the past week here, and I mean even here in the springs, it was down to what was it? I think negative twelve at my house. Yeah, it was negative. Yeah. Well, how cold was it at your house? Negative eight. Woo. Yeah. And so the thing is, with the cold like this, it it reminded me, perhaps painfully so, that um, I need to replace the batteries in multiple vehicles because I tried going to the radio station the next day and it was cold enough that my truck, my Tacoma, the daily that's supposed to be, um, you know, reliable and start every day. The Tacoma didn't start. So I go to the Jeep. The Jeep didn't start. So I go to the other Jeep. That didn't start either. So then I finally had to dig out the jump pack, which was in the back of the truck. And because it was 12 degrees, the jump pack wouldn't start anything either. Yep. So then I'd bring the jump pack inside and charge it up for a little bit, go back out and then actually start my cars. And and so if you've been procrastinating on changing your battery, you know, if if you've been letting it go long, if the car's cranking a little slower than it usually does, the cold will remind you to do that. But reason I want to ask you this, Brian, is because as a technician, you are uh, you've been working on cars for what, over almost a decade here now. How long have you been working on cars professionally? Eight years. Working on nine, working on nine years professionally. And um, so what, in your opinion, changes when cars are cold, right? When we have these horrible cold weather snaps, mechanically speaking, what's happening with your car? Um, well, most people go straight to the engine, but there's so much else that's also experiencing the cold. Again, your car, LCD screens don't refresh. They're all ghosted. Uh, wheel bearings, all very tight and taut because the grease is cold. Um, and if you think that's cold, so is the fluid in trans, so is the fluid in mm-hmm. power steering, so is the brake fluid, so is pretty much everything is turning into syrup. Um, obviously, the engine's going to be sapped for heat. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have your climate system on full tilt heat trying to defrost those windows and trying to warm <laughs> yourself up. So you can imagine a lot of the energy is getting used in friction. Right. And um, well, as well as trying to warm yourself up. The car is as cold as you are sitting in the car, yes. if not if not worse, because you just came from a, a warm house or a warm I, office building or something. I think it's more interesting to talk about how many other things besides the engine actually are affected by the cold. Right. Like the other day, I, it's kind of interrelated, but our, our Dodge Dakota starter started uh, sticking when uh, in the cold. That's right. You were telling me that. Yeah. 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 And then I couldn't use the LCD screen in the XC90. It was a blur. <laughs> it's a total blur. <laughs> um, there, there's a there's a lot of things that are just affected by the cold in that. In that, I mean, you can't take a car apart when it's cold. 
You, you don't. Oh, just not the interior. You really don't want to. I mean, yeah. You really don't want to. Now, um, now speaking, that was things aside from the engine. But speaking of the engine, right? You know, mm -hmm. we this is a topic that's always contested. We've talked about it before on the show, but we have some new listeners maybe joining us on the radio, which is. How long should you let the car warm up? Do you let your car warm up at all? Do you just get in it and send it? How how do you look at that as I a technician? I could be misled on this, but I, from my understanding, newer technology and is supposed to have you basically hop in your car and let it warm up for the minimum amount of time and okay. start driving it right away. Um, people obviously are you more accustomed to letting their cars warm up for lots of reasons other than just the engine's health or performance, but more of comfort. Right, right. You know, so your climate system's heated up and the windows are defrosted and whatnot. Um, but from my general understanding, um, they would like and prefer you to be in your car driving right away. I think mainly due to emissions. Really? Because, well, I've heard that you need to get the catalytic converter, right? The catalytic converter is most efficient at a certain temperature. So it's important yes. that you heat that up, right? Yeah, the catalyst doesn't work unless it's at the temperature. Right, right. And so if manufacturers have this incentive when it comes to building cars for them to be as uh, efficient as possible and have as few emissions as possible, and I that's mean, probably one of them, isn't it? One of the things I've, I've heard and don't fully understand is that um, some of their engine management's actually purposely designed so that when it's not warmed up or is in the process of warming up the catalytic converter, it will, in a sense, purposely make the engine run bad, whether it be a misfire or mm -hmm. retarded timing to promote extra heating of the exhaust until it reaches the operating temperature, which most of the time isn't even actually necessarily monitored, but algorithmically calculated. Okay. Interesting. So what, what do you do then with your personal cars? Do you just get in and drive them? I try to. You if try it's to. not miserable. <laughs> uh, that said, I mean, most of my cars are projects. So getting into them and trying to get them start is more of the game of will it start than do I want to start driving right away? Right, right. And that's even when it's not cold. Will it will it start right? Sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'd hate to say that, but yes, a lot of it's just experimenting. That's fair. That's fair. And, and while we're talking, while we're talking project cars here, um, we're also going to talk a little bit here in the next Speaking segment of cold. It's kind of cold in here. Well, I know it's cold in here. If you're just joining us, by the way, on the radio, um, I usually do the show from the studio, but through the magic of technology, there are times when I can do it from the garage. And this is great because you can also watch it on video, by the way, from here in the garage. And we're going straight from the garage to the radio studio, to the transmitter, to your ears. And it's very cool, but it's also very cold here in said garage. It is not an insulated garage. I'm so glad you gave me back my beanie. Yeah, yeah, I, I stole his beanie for a couple of weeks. And uh, he's wearing it right now because it is cold in here, though it's not as cold in here as it was earlier in the week. I will say that much. I will say that much. Um, now we're going to talk a little bit too in the next segment about EVs. I think that's going to be really interesting to get into not only how do EVs behave in the cold from a mechanical perspective, how do they behave, but also Brian, your thoughts just in general on EVs and how that landscape has changed now, how from, you know, you working on them, you know, how, how are manufacturers training technicians to work on them? How is that transition going? We've got more EVs and a lot of manufacturers sell gas cars still, but have EVs in the fleet. So we're going to get into all of that and more here in the next segment. But before we do that, um, let's talk about some of your personal project cars right now. Yeah, let's let's talk about that because mm. you've got a few project cars that are actually kind of fun. And I've played the car sounds on this show before, namely a flat six swapped Subaru. Tell me about that. Um, 
Well, it wasn't supposed to be a flat six swap Subaru, but then it happened. <laughs> and it just happened? It just, the flat six materialized in so, there? So I had bought my first ever Subaru. Okay, okay. Old, uh, crusty Impreza from a friend at work. Um, in sort of a trade for my XC90, which I've now gotten back. Is but, it, uh, this is how it works with mechanics, yeah, right? It's just kind of swap It's just cycling cars. You <laughs> trade someone your car for another car, and then you end up buying your old car back yeah, from them. And I'm, I'm really glad to have it back. And then even like the other day, he's like, I gotta miss it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, no, you're not getting it back this Sorry, time. Sorry, the cycle has to stop. <laughs> for the record, for the record, if you're unfamiliar with Brian, who I also like to call OBD1 Kenobi, he is a Volvo technician. He is a mechanic. He has tons of weird project cars. Most of them are Volvos. And we're going to get his thoughts and more on some of the projects, some of EVs, and all of that coming up here in just a minute. You're listening to Automotive ADHD right here on AM 1460 and FM 101.1, The Answer. Ladies and gentlemen, the Speed Council proudly presents Automotive ADHD, now on video. For better or for worse, subscribe to Automotive ADHD now playing on YouTube and Rumble. Right, and here we are. We are back on the Automotive ADHD show, heard around Southern Colorado on the radio and sometimes online as a podcast as well. This is really fun with the car sounds because uh, you know as a listener what those car sounds are because there's a good chance you sent those in, especially if you're Patrick and you sent those car sounds in because those are his. But I can quiz my guest, OBD1 Kenobi, Brian, on the car sounds. What do you think that was? What do you think that was? You play it again for me. I was paying attention. No, I'm not playing it again. <gasps> Nope, you got it. No. You only get once. No? No call-outs either. No call Can I phone a friend? No, that's, that's a call-out. You can't do that. Do you have I any guests? a friend? Uh, uh, no, no. No, I seriously... No. I, you don't I, know? I, I missed it. Did, you <laughs> <laughs> I, was, no, I was busy looking at your face. That, that was... Oh, yeah. My, it's it's a face for radio, isn't it? You should play um, it one more time for me. I, I, you know what? No, I think I think we're, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And I'll, t- I'll just tell you what it is. But in the future, when I have you on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot and grill you, you on these. You put me on the spot. You grill me good. I'm going to grill you on these car sounds. That was a Suzuki Carry K-Car three-cylinder from Japan. Oh, there's no way I would have guessed that. I know. That, that's why I threw it at you. I may have guessed it was a three-cylinder, but I would never... Suzuki, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I know. There, there's some great car sounds that my listeners send into the show. And you can send those car sounds in yourself, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Uh, and I can use them to uh, torment uh, Brian when he's a guest on the show. Yeah, I space out. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's okay. I do too, but I just keep talking when it happens. So <laughs> anyway, um, that being said, that being said, we've got some interesting things to talk about. So we were talking about cold weather and mm-hmm. it has been very cold. Um, and the, we talked about in the last segment, how, you know, some of the things you don't expect with the car get cold bushings, rubber, plastic, LCDs, things like that. Um, but let's also talk about EVs because this is a hot topic. You know, EVs are really relevant in the mainstream eye right now. And there's a lot of misinformation about EVs, but there's also some stuff about EVs that is factual and maybe isn't the greatest. Now, uh, I will say I've mentioned on this show, one of the things that I've, Uh, had the chance to experience is the new f-150 lightning and honestly i kind of like it i kind of like it don't get me wrong i i personally do like hopping the evs i do have some complaints about the way that they're styled or the way that the creature features and the uh you know the controls are set up in these cars yeah yeah 
which is personally why I'm so biased with our XC40s right now. <laughs> because uh, I think they're like one of the only EVs I've gotten into where it just kind of feels like a regular car. Really? It's pretty close to the current lineup of cars we have. I mean, unfortunately, all of the manufacturers are going to these touchscreen tablet sort of center screens that handle all the climate and the radio and all the features. Well, they, they make them feel like smartphones on wheels is what they're making. Them they feel literally like. are. I'm uh, our uh, spa five generation has two different SIM cards. Wow. That's more SIM cards than my actual smartphone has. Right. And it's a car. And and that's the thing I've talked about on the show um, probably a couple couple of years ago on the show. But there was a, a study that found that cars like when you have actual controls in cars, um, BM physical controls. Oh, yeah. You told me about this. Or the touchscreen controls. And they measured it not by how long it takes you to do certain tasks. Like yeah. Turn on the, the heated uh, seats. They measured it by the distance you traveled with your eyes off the road. Which that's is right. That's right. Really interesting. And the fact is that it was I don't have this. Uh, there's, study. No, uh, there's no feedback with the touchscreen. You know, you know, if you press the right button. Right. So the thing is, you actually it, it took somewhere around three times longer to actually engage a certain set of tasks, like turn the heated seats on, turn on the radio to this frequency. And uh, which better by, by the way, be either AM 1460 and FM 101.1, the answer or 91.7 KLZR better be on those two frequencies. But that being said, the beautiful thing about this was with the physical buttons, the driver didn't even have to take their eyes off the road. They could feel it and do it. Uh, I'm pretty sure that any of my cars, I can easily set the climate controls up way faster than any of our tablet cars. It, right. it honestly bothers me a lot that they continue to do it. And I think they really need to go back a step and kind of realize that maybe maybe the touchscreen doesn't belong in the car. I do say, however, the one thing I do like with the touchscreens that they put in our cars is they're mm -hmm. actually an infrared array. On the Volvo specifically, right? That I know of, yeah. yeah and yeah. that way, it doesn't matter what what you're using <laughs> per se. It doesn't have to be a bare finger. You could use a pencil. You could use the edge of your phone. You technically can just use it just by anything to touch the touchscreen. And it feels... It's just like a passive. It's even multi-touch. Right, right. But it works with gloves and things like that. Because Precisely. Because the, the screen isn't looking for you actually touching the glass. It's, it's not looking, looking for you to interrupt the, the array. Right, right. And uh, so now that's one thing. I agree with you on electric cars. They all have to have touchscreens. They all have to have a lot of this. I think there would be a market. I don't know if it would be the primary demographic car makers want, but if they, you made a bare bones, stripped down electric car that just worked and behaved like a regular car, and I feel like people would buy it. You know, another thing too, sorry, my hand was covering the microphone there. <laughs> um, the other thing too is the, the other problem we're having with, and I don't think, I'm not saying this is a, a Volvo specific thing, you know, per se, but a lot of the problems I'm seeing um, with these cars are going to a more sophisticated center tablet screen is that they're mm -hmm. relying on a, heavier you know os um which requires boot times mm -hmm. um updates and they become less and less reliable and we actually see a lot of them crashing or the internal hardware failing from heat mm -hmm. whereas you know a, a typical uh system with a you know with a dedicated little um you know processor that maybe has a few kilobytes of data on it that just handle a couple basic things move dampener motors via lin bus right um do they just work Right. They just they just work. Why overcomplicate things? Well, that and, you know, and and moving that into some of the other things with EVs that that we don't like is just the repairability, I think. As a consumer who likes working on your own vehicle, it feels like EVs, and I don't know if your Volvo platform ones are so much like this, but it feels like 
every part of them. And Tesla's the biggest, I think, offender of this, which is. is you can't even if you want to do the work yourself, they won't sell you the parts for it. They are the sole proprietor of all the parts and the distribution for it. I will say um, as a tech as a technician, this is mm-hmm. my only pr- my perspective on it. And it's I don't think it's the best perspective. But just to see it from like what we're coming from, uh, as far as we're dealing with handling with the with the manufacturer and the way that they're training us to handle these cars, is they're treating these cars a lot like a hot potato. Like they're mm. incredibly dangerous. They mm-hmm. treat these way different than gasoline cars. Um, well, it is high voltage, which is dangerous. There's a lot speaking. of risks involved when dealing with high voltage. And um, uh, for example, I mean, even if you get electrocuted and you walk away from it, they expect you to hospitalize yourself because your blood, you know, could be boiled some per se. I'm, I'm not super privy on all of the details, but like, um, I guess your blood, um, if you do get electrocuted for a good amount of time, um, you can, your blood can become acidic. Really? Yes. And it could actually kill you later on. So you might survive the initial shock wake up dead or I shouldn't wake up dead <laughs> be dead tomorrow very shocking so, by the way. very shocking um, but, ha- have you ever heard of anyone in the technician space getting hurt doing that or just working on an electric car in general maybe not specifically getting hurt or shocked maybe maybe shocked but i have heard of some mishaps with batteries getting shorted and mm. then being swiftly put outside while they burned it down <laughs> um there were some issues if i not if i wasn't mistaken with one of them where the uh even after disabling the high voltage battery, basically breaking it down into individual parts that are less than the, you know, dangerous level of uh, voltage. Right. Cause a battery is built of multiple cells typically. Yes. They've been, they've been trying all these different things. And I think this goes for every manufacturer. They've been trying to find ways to build their batteries in ways that can be serviced safely by mm-hmm. being able to break them into like um, smaller bits. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, the battery might be 400 volts, but obviously each cell is not 400 volts. So right, we can right. break them by taking buses out and then get them below the considered, you know, dangerous voltage level. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there was a, I think a situation where um, uh, like many batteries with built-in BMSs and stuff, there is uh, some thin wires that um, probe um, each cell or are directly attached to the high voltage, mm-hmm. specifically to monitor the, the forward voltage on that specific cell. And I guess there were not mentioned in some instructions that get torn and short against the casing and all hell breaks loose. Wow. Wow. Okay. So what we are going to do, this is a new thing here on the show. We are going to continue this conversation as well as talk about some other stuff like standalone ECUs on the podcast only section of the show, which you can catch on YouTube, rumble, Facebook, all of the fine places where you can find fine shows and mine. Um, and also, you remember, don't miss a minute of this show. Listen to it as well on Spotify, uh, Amazon, iTunes, and more. I will see you right here next week. 